Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about kids' movies. Kids' movies? That's kind of the idea. We're going to be talking about Luca, Ryan the Last Dragon, and just the idea of what does it mean to be a kids' movie and what can we learn from them? All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined by a special guest, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing tonight? Uh, medium. You know, I'm like physically, I I, uh, I went to the doctor the first time in a couple years because, you okay. know, the ongoing pandemic and whatnot. And uh, I got a tetanus shot because they're like, hey, do you want a tetanus shot? And I was like, sure, I'll get a tetanus shot. And uh, it, it uh, yeah, it, it it's a little painful. Uh, but okay. <laughs> like mentally and emotionally, I'm like two thumbs up. So, you know. Awesome, awesome. Kind of, good here. Good some column A, some column B. How are you? I, I'm dealing with a bit of a, a rough throat at the moment. Uh, I will hopefully keep all of the, I'll hopefully keep most of my throat clearing edited out, but I apologize <laughs> if a little bit sneaks through or to those here on Twitch. We are once again recording live on Twitch. So if people have questions or comments or feedback or thoughts or anything at all, please just kind of jump right in the chat and we'll get to it either in the moment or uh, definitely before we wrap up. So, well, let's kind of just jump right into this topic because what we're talking about today is it's kind of two things. Um, I'll kind of kind of give you evolution of how we came to this topic. Um, Paul, you had been really excited about the movie Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, and I, I finally got around to watching that. And then I, I had you told me that Luca was very good, or did I talk to you about Luca, or did we just both watch it independently? I So I watched Luca, and I was like, hey, have you seen Luca? And you were like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. you know. And I might have been like, put it on the list. I think you might have said you were going to, so I just didn't really yeah. say much about it. Uh, but I had watched it when it came out. Lee wanted to watch. She always wants to watch the animated movies, basically. Right. Um, and I don't know. I enjoy animation at least as much as live action, possibly yeah. more, a lot of the time. So. <clears throat> yeah, it is something that I have definitely grown a lot on, um, in part due to your influence. And, and that's kind of what we want to get into today, because I was one of those people who always saw animation as kind of a kid's thing. Mm. And it also just is not my... My brain is not very visual, and so I often prefer things just being straightforward, like people on mm -hmm. screen. But I remember talking to you. You got me into shows like Batman the Animated Series and Clone Wars and stuff like that. And I think both of those are – and then Avatar The Last Airbender, all of which I think people think of as kids' shows. Right. And in some ways, that that's true. I think certainly, like, they're all shows that I think most parents would have no problem showing their kids. Right. Some Batman the Animated Series maybe a little not for, like, the youngest of kids, but mostly they're family-friendly entertainment. Um, but, like, you know, I remember you and I have had a lot of great conversations, especially about Avatar, but about all of them, about why is there this sort of thinking that, like, entertainment that is family-friendly, well, family-friendly, make it sound like it's, you know, Christian and, and right. conservative. That's not what I mean at all. But, you know, that is aimed for all audiences. That means it's not serious. So that means it can't be as good. And... And so we were talking about, like, okay, do we want to do an episode on Raya and the Last Dragon? Do we want to do an episode on Luca? Do we want to do one on each? And, and, and I think there's a lot of themes that came up between the two of them. But for me, I mean, more than anything, the biggest theme was how these are two of the best movies I've seen this year, I think. Maybe two, the two best I've seen this year. And that both of them just have so much to say about the kind of questions we're talking about in ways that I think a lot of people think kids' movies wouldn't. And so that, that's kind of where I wanted to start today. We're going to... Talk about each of those movies individually. Uh, I will say we'll be spoiling some of the movies, but also if you haven't seen them, um, but but you're not worried about spoilers, we'll, we'll kind of fill you in enough on the plot to follow our discussion. But we're going to be kind of talking about them in a more general way. Uh, although they are both great, so if you do want to hit pause, watch them come back, please go ahead and do so. 
Uh, but Paul, let's just kind of start with a general idea. Like, what, what do you think of when people talk about, like, these movies as kids' movies? Yeah, I mean, the first thought is, like, it feels kind of ageist, you know? Um, the idea that, like, there are certain themes or concepts that are for certain people of a certain age and certain ones that are not for for people. Like, if something's suitable for children, that then it shouldn't be suitable for adults. I mean, I also personally right. push back on the idea that a lot of things that people think are um, not suitable for children, I personally, I mean, if I had a child, I'd be like, yeah, just watch whatever. And, like, we'll see how you feel about it. And then if you have negative reactions to certain things, we'll, like, try and, right. you know, help you kind of avoid that to some extent. But, like... You know, um, I mean, I could go off on certain things that I saw at certain ages, but like, I feel like I saw a lot of stuff at a young age and I don't feel like it affected me negatively. If anything, I feel like it affected me positively. Similarly, though, um, or like the opposite of that is I think there's this idea that like if something doesn't have a lot of like sex and violence in it or cursing or um, not that I have a problem with things having some of those, but like if it doesn't have really heavy stakes or isn't. Right. always like very serious about its stakes that like it's for kids um and I, i'd say one thing is often like the age of the protagonist sort of you know like protagonists will often be aged around the target audience or like a couple years older and so you know if you look at like avatar the last airbender the protagonists are pretty young if you look right. at a lot of superhero fiction, one of the reasons they added sidekicks, I think, was so that younger people would have someone that maybe they'd relate to more. Um, right. You know, there's there's some movies like uh, Let the Right One In, which is a Swedish uh, horror film <laughs> with child <laughs> protagonists. Like, I wouldn't say yeah. that's a kid's movie, you know. The Professional is one of my favorite oh, movies yes. and possibly Natalie Portman's best performance yeah. while she was maybe 10. Thir- 13, Not something yeah. I'd advise like four-year-olds watching. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. but... Yeah, but for the I most part, have I think no problem that, with the four-year-old watching it, but I understand what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not a kid. I, I think that's a really good way to start it and to talk about it because I do. Uh, I I have very similar ideas on this. Um, I did a podcast on this. Uh, I did an episode on this podcast a while ago, specifically on parenting. I'll say I'm not a parent. I really like the approach that my guest had on that, where he talked about that he like he thinks of his three things that the only thing he doesn't want his kids to watch is stuff where like. He thinks it might cause nightmares or be upsetting mm-hmm. in that kind of a way. And I think that, that's understandable. Sure. It's very much dependent on kids. And I'm going to kind of let the child psychologist talk about that. Then there's a lot of stuff where it's like, yeah, kids should be able – it's okay to see like, you know, nudity or, you know, sexuality or like low levels of violence or whatever. And then a lot of stuff that is he, as he put it, like he want, oh, he would only want his kids to watch critically. Right. Like, you know, he, he would want to watch and be able to talk to him about like, okay, well – what are the messages this has about like, you know, like if you watch Fast and Furious and all of the, you know, his daughters are seeing all the girls in bikinis, right, like right. let's maybe talk about that, you know? Right. And I, I don't want to get too much into that. It's a great episode. But I, I think I very much I'm with you in that same regard of like, I think the stuff that we think of as like, oh, kids shouldn't watch that, especially in the United States. I mean, I, oh, my yeah. mother was, I've talked to this before, but you know, she was like, see all the naked bodies you want, but she didn't ever want me to watch violence on television. Right. Um, which put her totally at odds with most other mothers. Yeah. It, that's all kind of a long tangent sure, to, to sure. the main point I think we're talking about. But, uh, but you brought it up and it's a really one I wanted to dive into. But I think the kind of the main point we're getting here at that I really like how you described is I, I like I love Dark and Gritty. You know, I loved The Dark Knight and I, and, and Batman Begins because it, it made those things feel so much more real and intense. Sure, and yeah. and I think there's a greatness to that. But I think that sometimes – I think – 
our focus on that has absolutely done what you're talking about, that there's a sense of like, well, if no one dies, it doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. you know, or if the people aren't cursing or having these kind of hard emotions. Yeah. And part of why I, I was so moved by these two movies is that they deal with some very sensitive issues, very difficult mm-hmm. issues. Um, they, there's like people die in very intense ways. Like there's there's a lot going on. And yet they're able, like, they do it in ways that are not, you know, no one's, I think, going to feel, even though, you know, depending on how, however I might feel about other people's opinions of what their kids should or shouldn't watch, these are clearly, like, family-friendly in that kind of a way. Right. They're aimed that way. They're marketed that way. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the Dark Knight and Batman Begins are these, like, gritty, dark movies, but, like, they're also about a dude who dresses up like a bat and, yeah. you know, <laughs> has, like, all these wonderful toys, you know, and, like, I love Batman, um, yeah, but like, um, oh, is that not on the thing? Yeah. Anyway, I wore a Batman yeah. t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> but like it, you know, I mean, it's not even just like superhero films. Like any film, it's like it's adults pretending that there's someone else. Like there's something yeah. kind of inherently um, not like super serious about the whole thing in terms of drama. Yeah. And so I think it's fine. Like when we're watching something, like take it seriously, take it however seriously you want. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not criticizing that but like then being like oh this is serious and this isn't serious it's like you know stories are stories and you know themes and visuals don't belong to any one age group and i i do think that you know raya and luca both are designed to try to be suitable for wide audiences um yeah yet they have some themes that i think are what people you know some people might kind of want to keep their kids away from those themes right. in in terms of, um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, what you were referring to earlier. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and you kind of put the cards on the table for those who haven't seen them. I think Luca especially. Luca is a very sweet movie about, you know, kids and sea monsters. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's it's a very kind of like classic animated show for kids about, you know, learning tolerance and learning to accept and learning to get past fear. It's also an incredibly clear allegory for the process for about like coming out as as being young and queer, mm-hmm. you know, and and to me, it's so great for that because of the way it can. It, yeah, like you can be six years old and watch it and have no understanding of that allegory. And that's fine. Yeah. But I know lots of parents who've talked about how either a they already have or they're planning to in a couple of years, like when they do when topics of like homosexuality or stuff mm-hmm. like that, or especially the idea that like this kid in my school didn't talk about it for a while. Why, you know, using this movie as a way to like, like plant the seeds of understanding like what that whole process is about and what it means to be something that shouldn't be judged with other people around you might be judged. Yeah. And I think that's like a really important lesson that you can learn when you're six and yeah. then carry it forward when it becomes more specifically relevant, you know, yeah, or when it may become more specifically relevant. You know, and I think one of the biggest ideas of this podcast has always been that the media we love is the stuff that makes us ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, not just about like, oh, yeah, why did Tony Stark do that? But like, what is Tony Stark doing that? What can that tell us about our own world? You know, and I think it, kid, kids movies, quote unquote, like can there is certainly the whole like ABC school after special mm-hmm. ABC after school right. special that's hitting you over the head with a point so hard that it's just awful entertainment. Yes. I think these two movies, as well as stuff like Avatar and, and Batman the Animated Series, what they do so well is to, you know, make people of all ages want to ask these questions. And like I 
I've, I, I actually did a lot of digging on this. And, and with both of them, there's so many tweets and posts and things like that and TikToks about parents saying, like, the great questions their kids asked, you right. know, um, as well as adults ask them. And so, yeah, to me, that's just like it's it's we have some critiques about these movies. It's not just yeah, going to be yeah. a total shine fest, for <laughs> sure. But I, I I think both these movies should remind me why why this kind of thing is so important and why, like, it, it can be a kid's movie that does these things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like you can just reach more people if you're creating media that people are going to be receptive to, you know. Right. And <clears throat> of course, there's ways you can go deeper on different issues um, through through other media. But yeah. I, I do think that both of these created a. It's like, you know, with reference to after school specials, to me, it's like if you're not telling a good story then having yeah. a powerful allegory or some moral to the story, it's not going to reach people because people aren't going to like your story and, yeah. and aren't going to connect with it. When you tell a story uh, that's a great story and you tell it artfully, people are going to connect with that. It's going to resonate with people and then your message is going to get through. And if you're just like message, 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 um, yeah. and like trying to hit people over the head with it, I don't think it's going to be as effective as if you like effortlessly weave it through. And um, right. I'm making a lot of hand gestures here, so you should you should come on Twitch next time we uh, if, you're, if you're listening <laughs> to the come, podcast. <laughs> come check this out for sure. One other thing I think that can be a really important part of like, because I've I, been using the term like instead of kids movies like family friendly mm-hmm. or like all you know all ages friendly, because I do think there is entertainment that I wouldn't describe as kids movies. I describe it as juvenile. Sure. You know, and, and maybe this is like, there's a lot of stuff that like people of all ages love and I'm glad you do. Mm-hmm. Like to me, like the Trolls movie is what I would describe as more juvenile, mm-hmm. not all ages friendly. But then I'd call half of Adam Sandler's movies juvenile. Yeah, yeah, so like, yeah, I mean, that can apply yeah. to anything. Sure, you know? for sure, for sure. Um, one of my favorite things also that I think that can be really brilliant with these kind of movies do or TV shows do. And I didn't see this as much with these two, but like one of my favorite examples of all this is The Muppet Show. Mm. Um, because what I'm talking about here is where you can have humor on a lot of different levels. Right. As an eight-year-old, I loved The Muppet Show because, like, you know, things were blowing up and Fozzie was getting things thrown at him and there was a frog and a, a pig. And it was just fun. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being surprised at how much my parents loved it. Mm. And then I go back and watch it as an adult and I'm like, oh, that's a parody of Howard Cosell. Oh, <laughs> that's like biting satire of something going on. Right. Like, oh, that's like, it, it's, there's so much layers there. But what Jim Henson and the room were so good at was like putting that away that like kids weren't sitting there going like, wait, what's this about? You know, right. it to me, that's a different kind of example. Of, mm-hmm. But one where like you can have you, you can have humor that's aimed at all different levels in the same show. Yeah, same absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the same way you can have some heavy things and some light things in the same show right. or the same movie. I, I, I also um, I loved the Muppets as a kid. I never really re- rewatched it. So I didn't have that um, experience yeah. you had. I watched it with my parents who I believe also enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But, you know, it. I, I do think things having having kind of multiple levels, you know, I think one of these had like a number of like fart jokes in them that I was like, OK, you know, like, yeah. and I'm like, I, you know, I can do without that. But like at the same time, it's like, whatever, that's it's a passing thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <of> <laughs> <laughs> it can hit on multiple levels. <laughs> OK, OK, OK. Stop making fart jokes in the podcast now. So just because I know it's one of your favorites, uh, we're going to dive into these two specifically, but talk for a minute about why for you Avatar The Last Airbender is such a good example of like what, the kind of thing we're talking about. Okay. Um, actually, if you want to start talking about Raya, my first like eight points are how it reminds me of Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so That's fine. I'll use that as a, as a bit of a transition. Um, sure. 
Which, I mean, I absolutely loved Raya. I think it's my favorite Disney movie that mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Um, part of it is, like, it doesn't have the songs. And I know the songs are the attraction <laughs> for some people. They're not for yeah. me. So, you know. Um, but it also, like... I mean, I know, like, she kind of looks like Cora at times in terms of, like, her outfit and stuff and age and, mm-hmm. and you know, gender. Um, but the the overall show just feels very Airbender to me. Like, things I loved about Airbender that then also were present in um, Raya is, you know, the main character has an animal companion who they're legitimately close with and has a personality yeah. that, like, I, as a viewer, care about. Not just because I'm like, oh, they're cute, but it's like... They're a person, you know, right? Um, who then also is involved in the shenanigans, you know. So I really yeah. enjoy that in in both. Um, uh, oh, that one's actually more about how it's better than the the last Airbender, um, <laughs> <laughs> but similar to to um, to the last Airbender. Um, both of them are they're not a direct representation of a culture. They're both mm-hmm. like fantasy settings that draw inspiration from many related cultures, like. Um, the Last Airbender is, I'd say, more most heavily kind of Chinese influenced, but there's also uh, Japanese and and Korean and other and probably I imagine Southeast Asian and and uh, East Asian yeah. influences. Um, and that at the time, like I think that was very uncommon in TV shows, yeah. you know. And for the first series especially, I think they were very diligent about like they had a um, somebody who was consulting on it who also did all the callig- calligraphy, which is beautiful and right. is like era appropriate like there's different eras and different types of styles of calligraphy um and you know it uh, and then raya is more like southeast asian cultures but it's it's a fantasy setting right so yeah it's not like this is supposed to be historically accurate and i think i think that can be that can be powerful sort of in terms of inclusion in terms of exposing more people to more cultures um right. and also just like I don't know, like, this is kind of maybe a long tangent, which I won't go on a long tangent, but just, like, I've (laughs) always had sort of an affinity for a lot of aspects of Asian culture, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't, which to me is different from, like, fetishizing, um, just in terms of feeling, like, I haven't worn my shoes in the house for decades, like, just because I'm like, oh, yeah, that just makes sense to me, you know, Um, and so, so, in terms of, like, resonating with me, that kind of has an effect. Um, Yeah. Also, the martial arts are awesome. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to the Animation Deliberation podcast with J. Scotty mm. Sinclair and Zuhair Ali and um, his martial arts instructor, who I think teaches Filipino martial arts. Um, yeah. They're going to do an episode on, on Raya, The Last Dragon, with the mm-hmm. martial arts instructor talking about a lot of the influences. Um, and, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender had, like, real... They, they had a real martial artist, like, talking about, like, how... You know, all of the bending styles were based on actual martial arts, right? And actual movements. Right. And so it felt it felt very real. And, um, you know, the animation's also just beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, like, there's this mix, this very rare mix of humor, like, lightheartedness and, and weight. Like, the gravity yeah. of the situation, right? In Avatar The Last Airbender, like, the title character is literally the last airbender... Because the rest of the airbenders got genocided. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> some heavy shit, right? Like, and at the same time, he, like, he goes through that and feels that and you feel that and that pain um, and, you know, suffering throughout the world because it's not just them who got genocided, but then there's also, right. you know, that the Fire Nation is at war with all the others. But 
there's also this weight, and that character maintains that weight as well. Here, I think Raya doesn't kind of have that weight. I think more when she finds the last dragon. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, there's Aquafina kind of brings that sort of uplifting, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like lightness. But the the movie carries that. I think it has a spirit yeah. of like levity as well as gravity, and I, I just think that's a very um, rare combination. And and I just loved it. Yeah, it, it's fun. I, I really like the movie, too. I, I had one kind of complaint, uh, and it's about one of the ethical questions we'll get mm-hmm. into, but for the most part, I really like the movie. Um, and it reminded me in some way, like, and it's kind of a similar topic we'll get into with both of these movies, that tropes are not always bad things. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, I, I maybe even want to find a, a better word than trope. Like, because what I'm talking about is the idea of, like, the Disney princess movie. Right. Like, a Disney princess movie is by now a fairly set formula which and, and like it's funny you talked about it like one of the defining aspects of a Disney princess movie is the animal companion who doesn't necessarily speak English, but our heroine talks to and does most of her like exposition at right. and clearly communicates back and forth. Mm-hmm. I mean sometimes it does like um oh why can't I remember the name of the little dragon in uh uh Mulan. Uh, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh but you know, but that that's a that's a very common part of it. To me, like, the songs are a common part. The martial arts scenes, not so much. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, they can... But what I think Disney has started doing a lot more of recently is saying, anyone can be a Disney princess. And so let's take a Disney princess story and set it in New Orleans black cuisine culture mm-hmm. or in, you know, China or in yeah. here, you know, the fantasy world of, of the folklore of Vietnam and Southeast Asia. And I mean, I'm not Vietnamese, I'm not Southeast Asian. Um, to me, it was a fascinating rendition of that kind of stuff. My understanding is I've heard a lot of people very positive about it. Some people being kind of critical about it, that they didn't do things as, as well as they could have. I, I can't comment on that. But certainly it exposed me to a lot of these things that I, I, I might not have known as much about. It made me want to curious and want to know more. And I think there's something great about saying, let's just take a basic story that you've heard a hundred times. Because Raya is many things. It is not a surprising movie. Like, very quickly from the beginning of the movie, you know everything that's going to happen. But it never felt boring because it felt like, you know, it was like saying like, okay, you know, West Side Story doesn't surprise you at all because it is Romeo and Juliet. You've seen that story a thousand times. But it's saying, let's take Romeo and Juliet and set it in 1950s, you know, gang New York. And to me, that's what this was doing. It's saying like, okay, you know the story of a Disney princess, but let's take it in this totally different setting and see how that changes the story and how it affects it. And, and that alone, I just think, is fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, to your point about criticisms of the cultural representation, again, I, I don't, I can't comment too deeply on that. I do think a Disney movie is not going to be the best representation of any given culture. Yeah. Um, and here, again, it is, I think, trying to convey um, influences from a variety of cultures rather than um from one culture and then also it's like you know you can talk about like well but if it's for profit by this big western company disney okay there's there's a whole thing there right yeah. granted <laughs> um i i do think that things like the fact that these dragons are more creatures of the water which is right. traditionally more accurate from my understanding in terms of like asian dragons as opposed to western dragons um yeah. i i appreciate that um i i think you know the fact that it's voiced almost entirely by actors of asian descent um, that's something that the last Airbender could have done a lot better, right? Yeah, they really only had a, had a couple throughout. You know, that was 15 years ago, and it's like 15 years later. It's like do better. It's like okay, you're doing better. Um, yeah. You know, I know there's some people who um, 
felt like the fact that at least half or maybe more than half were like East Asian rather than Southeast Asian. You know, there's there's a whole thing there. Personally, like I feel like getting too um, granular in terms of certain types of representation when you're like drawing from multiple groups of people who have been, you know, oppressed or, or have had less yeah. opportunity. I kind of like the fact that a show like Warrior, very much not a kid's show, uh, <laughs> you know, does in terms of most of the characters are Chinese, but they aren't only casting like, you know, Chinese American or Chinese Canadian. But again, that's like, that's the sort of thing that like, whatever your opinion is, like, you know, I respect that. Like your feelings are your yeah. feelings. Um, and I'm not going to say something is right or isn't. Um, I do think Kelly Marie Tran and um, Gemma Chan both were great. Um, yeah. They play kind of the two principal, you know, protagonist and antagonist. Um, their dynamic is particularly impressive, given that they weren't even recording together. Yeah, because... everything was being done during pandemic time. Exactly. And, and, and like so the first thing you said again, I don't think we can get into it much. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really feel like I can even go as far as what you're saying in terms of saying like that that I have kind of a, a preference one or the other mm-hmm. because I just think it, it, I'm not I'm not of one of those cultures, and so sure. I just don't really have an opinion there. Um, but, but I think, it's, yeah, you're right. It's like for, you know, these tropes are things we're constantly getting better at. We're constantly learning. This may not have been perfect yet. It's certainly much better than what Avatar The Last Airbender did, which is both of them much better than the Avatar movie, which, you know, oh, just yeah. cast well, white actors well, except for the bad guys. Well, um, here's, here's yeah. the thing. Like the Avatar movie actually hired more people of Asian descent than the series. Did they? Not okay. in main roles, but like, yeah, yeah it did. Like tons of extras and a lot of a lot of characters whereas there were like basically like two main characters in the original voice yeah, but you know fair. so so I, I i feel like it's more like a criticism of the series that like we have to see the movie and be like hey you should have done better yeah this, I mean, i'm not sticking up for the movie yeah let's not that get into the, i mean there's also a whole bunch of thing about like what races or what color and stuff sure, like, sure. in terms of the good guys versus bad yeah, guys yeah, yeah. but anyway there's, yeah there's a lot uh, there there's, there's a lot there. there um but the other thing i was gonna say is also I mean, in the same way like you know this this version of the Disney princess trope mm-hmm. is also kind of unrecognizable because she's not sitting around sighing waiting for a prince to rescue her. Right, so, right. you know, like the Disney princess trope is also one that has had a lot of problems. It still yeah. isn't perfect. And um, but, in, you know, I mean, one thing that I've loved is seeing like all these these stories from parents who talk about like not just their daughters, like their sons being like, yeah, Raya's awesome. I want right. to be Raya for Halloween, yeah, yeah. you know, and like that's great mm-hmm. to have like young boys. Same kind of thing that happened with Frozen and stuff like that. So let's get into some of the actual issues that that uh, uh, Raya brings up, and then we'll get to Luca in a bit. Um, the first thing that I, uh, and I'll, I'll give kind of can you you want to give like a, a sixty second plot summary? Okay. Um, that I gave you no preparation time. Yeah, for yeah, whatsoever, yeah, but... yeah. Sixty second plot <laughs> summary, no problem. Basically, there's some um, dark spirits or whatever that feed on you know distrust and whatever called the drone, and they turn people into stone. And then the dragons were like, hey, let's stop them. So they made a big egg or something and it stopped them. But then the dragons were all stone and still tons of people were stone. And then one of the five, um, are they tribes? I'm trying to remember. I think are they tribes I, five, five nations, nations within this one land. Right. So, so the and five, it is that used to all be the one land of Kunlandia. Kunlandia. Uh, uh, Kumandra, right? Kumandra, thank you. Um, so, so they all, um, they basically, um, the, the one king, you know, place, Heart, has the the gem that's supposed to keep away, you know, the drone. And then um, this one, uh, let's see, I want to get her name right. Uh, Namari comes in with her, tr- like, basically, 
Uh, let's see. Benja is a tribe chief, right? Yeah. Or king. I, I, I think, I think this is not going to work as a summary in two seconds. There's just like too much going on. There's a lot going on. Basically, yeah. uh, the gem gets shattered. It's kind of Raya's fault, but kind of not. And then she goes to collect all the rest of them. She wakes up the last dragon. And uh, they keep just like adding members to the gang, which is also very yeah. Avatar The Last Airbender, where they're kind of just collecting people over time. And people from each... Like, you know, from the Fire Nation and the Water Nation. Wait, no, that's not it. Um, <laughs> but, and brings them all together, and then everybody lives happily ever after. Maybe. Yeah, yeah and, and there's a couple of instances, like, one, to me, one of the, the uh, one of the key moments along the way is that, like, all this has happened because people don't trust each other, because some people have resources, mm-hmm. others don't, and, 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 and that during this time of them all not knowing each other, all of these ideas spring up about all of those people are this, and all these right. people are that. And that there comes to be a moment when once again, like, they have to work together, but they don't trust each other. And in kind of like the, you know, again, the sort of like the, there always has to be a moment where our our hero does the right thing that shows their growth, that fixes everything. And it's Raya trusting this person who's betrayed her before and saying like, look, I'll put my knife down first right. so that we can work together yeah. and that, that kind of thing. And, and it's a very nice story, although I, that one part especially I have some, <laughs> some questions about that we'll get into. Um but to me, I think one of the first things I wanted to get into about the movie was it feels like one of the real themes is about the difference between the stories you – what happens when the stories you've been told don't match with the reality that you experience? Mm. Because – and it's everything from like, you know, Raya has always learned about the dragons as these mythical creatures of wonder yeah. and wisdom and, you know, majesty – and it's played by Aquafina, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Aquafina doing Aquafina things, yeah, you know, yeah. which is being like silly and kooky and ridiculous and having fun, yeah. and being smart and powerful yeah. and and wise in some way, but actually in a very Avatar like way mm-hmm. of being like you know a ten year old kid with a lot of wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very angish, actually. Yeah, and so she definitely has a moment of like, oh, I think she literally says like, "You're not like the stories I heard." Right. And then that seems to be a theme throughout mm-hmm. because. As you mentioned, along the way, they pick up all these, uh, you know, uh, people who become part of the gang, all of whom start out as, it seems, antagonists. Mm -hmm. You know, and in each one, it's someone who one side or the other doesn't trust each other for fair, maybe for good reason, maybe for not. But that, like, again and again, they find a way to find common ground and to realize, like, you're not the person that I was told you would be. Right. Yeah, I I agree. Um, It... it it does feel like the central theme is sort of, you know, about kind of like not believing the propaganda or that stories. I mean, it's very like anti-xenophobia, right? It's like you have all these groups that are all very similar, but different, but similar. And they're all just people. And if they work together, they can have a better society than if they're at odds with one another. And yeah. being at odds with one another has gotten them into quite a predicament. And, um, yeah. and But, the, you know, at the same time, it's like there was an actual betrayal multiple times. So sometimes, you know, sometimes there is reason not to trust someone when they've... I guess right. what it is is like... And, and I can see kind of your issue with the, with the story here. Where, um, you know, I... I I favor trusting people until somebody basically gives a reason not to. Um, right. And so when somebody repeatedly gives a reason not to, I think then often it's safer to be like, well, okay, 
You've given me a reason not to trust you, so I'm not going to keep trusting you because you've, yeah. you've undermined that trust. And so maybe that undermines a little bit of, of the message of the movie. Um, I, yeah, and that was um, that, that was kind of the main thing I was going to bring up there. And just to further explain it, basically like as uh, the main antagonist, who, remind me what that, that character's name was? I think it's Namari. Uh, let me check. Namari, yeah. Yeah, Namari. She plays, uh, she is kind of like in a similar position to Raya. She's the daughter of the leader of one of these other uh, like groups or nations or lands. Um, and she kind of befriends Raya early in the movie. But then it turns out that she's doing this to steal the gem. And then that's where all the fighting happens. And um, and then for the rest of the movie, they're very much antagonists. Although very much in a, and like mm. another thing that I'll kind of touch yeah. on in a bit. There's very much in enemies to friends to, <laughs> yeah, you know. There's some coding happening. There's very much not There's baiting. There's some chemistry it's, it's, and tension between the characters yeah. that is not about the antagonism. Yeah. Or, or you know, I mean, antagonism, the, the enemies to lovers is a popular sure, story. Sure, sure, and like, yeah. Although, again, Disney movies, yeah. not the lovers part. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But, like, I, I feel, and here is where, it's not a critique of kids' movies necessarily, but it, it is where I feel like the younger, I, I sometimes wish people who made movies like this would trust the audiences a little bit more. Because I feel like the central tension here is that... Yeah, to finish the story, so... We get to a point where the two of them have to trust each other. And Raya does start to trust her. But then she betrays... She, like, pulls out a knife. Yeah. Or she pulls out a, a crossbow, crossbow. And, like, it, it's this whole thing. Yeah. And I feel like the movie got to this problem where... What it showed versus what it was telling us did not match up. Mm. Because it was trying to tell us... That actually this time it was Raya who didn't trust enough. Mm -hmm. And so she had to learn that kind of like they're both at fault and she has to be the one to do the thing. But I think sometimes because there's sort of like, because you still want to have the good guy seem like the, the good, the hero seem like the hero and everyone else not seem like mm -hmm. the hero. They, it, it felt like they didn't want to show Raya in a bad light in any way. Mm -hmm. So it wound up seeming kind of confused. And um, as one person put it, uh, who I was talking to said, you know, this this should be a great movie about learn to trust people, you know, that learn to get past your fears of them and understand they could have changed. You could see it as no matter how many times people hit you, you should trust them that they won't hit you the next time, which is a very right, bad right, right. message. Yeah, yeah. That's I, not a good lesson. That's not a yeah, good lesson. I don't think that's the lesson. And the movie like book lampshades that that's not the lesson it's giving. But I did wish that they would kind of trusted the audience a little bit more and allowed Raya to appear in a little bit more or even her thought because the other one of the reading I think of this could be that like her father's kingdom or rulership, whatever it is, is doing a lot better than the others. And maybe that there is some justification to why they want to, to mm, share yeah, the gem yeah, instead of them all having it. And, and I feel like just the movie wasn't quite willing to go into like maybe Raya and or her father were not like always in the right there. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was very clearly trying to be inclusive and inviting people in and then got betrayed. Right. So he kind of just looks like a sucker. Whereas, you know, it, if they had actually been benefiting by being the ones who had the gem, um, right. then then that does add a layer to the story. I think that would be interesting. And maybe they were, and just we don't know because the story didn't tell us that, but they were doing right. well and they did have the gem. So, like, correlation does not, yeah. you know, imply causation, but, like, sometimes uh, it, it does go together, right? Um, yeah. I, I do think that, like, um, that Raya could have just like given over the other pieces of the thing and been like, here, you put it together, yeah. you know? And I do think also that Namari 
wanted to cooperate and work together, but right. her mom was like, no, we're not going to do it yeah. that way. Um, and so I, I feel like there was a, I, I didn't like that part. Like, I feel yeah. like that could have been written a little differently. And if it hadn't ended the way it did, I would hate that part. Like, that's like, yeah. a, you know, <laughs> that's like a, that could have like basically ruined it for me. It was a spot where it felt like they, because like at that point in the movie, I kind of trusted them to sort of get through to where I wanted them to end up. Right. And because of that, I was able to enjoy the movie. But I was for a moment like, mm, mm, you better yeah. <laughs> don't, <laughs> you know, don't do me this way. Like, yeah. So I was relieved <laughs> kind of by the end rather than, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, like your average movie, I have five of those. Ah, don't yeah, do yeah. me like this exactly. moment. And this one, I only had one or two. Yeah. So like that alone yeah. makes it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I think that part could have been done better. And I do think that that part... A part of that was like people's understanding of what they have to do to make it all ages friendly, mm-hmm. and I and I kind of wish that they didn't because like Batman the Animated Series to me, which, which granted, I mean, this is a movie that like five year olds can really enjoy. Sure, Batman the Animated Series is maybe like eight and up for some. Sure, although again, yeah, how others see it. Mm-hmm. So it got into a lot more kind of complex topics, but I I do think that they could have tr- yeah trusted the audience a little bit more with that scene. But but other than that, I I do really love the lesson it had of like that. That when you have the cycle of mistrust and like trying to figure out, well, wait, but did you do it first or did I do it first or just someone has just got to say, I trust you now yeah. or I'm going to give you a chance. at Yeah, least, exactly. You know? I'm going to give you a chance to not be horrible. And here's the thing. Like, don't right. screw me on this, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and there's a certain like, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, I forget the actual saying. I'm going to make one up. But like, you know, like, you know, trust them and keep your powder dry. Like, there's a certain, like <laughs> right, you know, right, right. be ready if they're going to betray you. But yeah, yeah but that the, the, the putting the weapon down first right. really, really mattered. Let's just quickly talk about the last part uh, that we kind of alluded to mm-hmm. because it's a great segue into Luca. On this podcast at other times, especially during uh, LGBT Pride Month just a few weeks ago, I talked a lot about the importance of representation and the differences between um, queer coding versus queer baiting and, and versus explicit content. This movie, I think, is another great example of a way to do that well mm. because there's nothing explicit about the sexuality of either of the characters. You know, they, they have a lot, they develop a chemistry to be sure. Um, you know, when I watched uh, the movie the first time, like, and the first time uh, Namiria comes on, not, not Miria, what, what? Namari? I'm so bad with names. Say again? Namari? Namari. You know, she has like a shaved head. She has like a buzz cut on one side. Right, right. And and uh, my partner was like, oh, okay. She's the queer girl on the show. <laughs> and like, there's nothing at all explicit about that. But I, uh, but there also isn't what a lot of times movies will do or TV shows will do is like kind of throw in a male love interest for one of them just to be like, mm. no, I don't know what you're seeing right, here. Right, right, right. There's none of that. No. And uh, Kelly Marie Tran, the actress who plays Raya has said that she, in her understanding, yeah. the characters were definitely flirting and that she acted the part as though they were flirting. Right. And for a Disney movie, I mean, that to me is fantastic in terms of representation of like, they're willing to allow the coding be out there. They didn't hit you over the head. It wasn't, you know, a kiss on screen in a Disney movie between two same-sex characters, which I'd like to get one day, but two same-gender characters. Well, I'm not expecting that anytime soon. But just to have that level of coding and acceptance without any of the, no, 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 that's definitely not that, I, I thought was really, really powerful. Yeah, I mean, I the first time that even as kids they interact, I was kind of like, hmm, 
hmm. Like, it felt like yeah. there was some dynamic there that didn't feel exactly like just... Like, they're kids, so maybe there's no sexuality to it. But it felt yeah, like... Yeah, and that kind of, like, puppy love cross... Like, the kind of thing where, like, a person later looks back on it's like, oh, yeah, my feelings for that friend. No wonder I'm gay. Like, yeah. You know, it's right, that kind of, like, right. puppy love feelings you get when you're 10 or 11. Yeah, so, so that, you know, I felt like that was conveyed there. And then later on, it felt... M- more sort of not explicit i guess because it was implicit but more obvious more Mm -hmm. like they're older um you know and then they're also fighting so there's this whole like physicality to it as well and um and hearing that um kelly marie tran like put that into the role deliberately and i think talked with them and they kind of played around that some you know it feels like progress right yeah like and a lot of these things it is like progress is slow sometimes and you know i i do think there's there's a lot of things that i would i would like to see in movies that just we don't get to see in the big budget movies right we don't get to see in um you know disney plus shows but we maybe get to see them in netflix shows and like you know it's just progress or we get them in disney plus but not on the big screen you know right right yeah exactly um and so i think you know, I I did find that to be a powerful aspect of the story, just in terms of it felt very obvious and like they weren't mm-hmm. taking and they weren't going to, to lengths to try and cover it up. At the same yeah. time, I feel like if that was like really high on the list of um, types of representation that I was like personally aggrieved by a lack of, I'd still be kind of like, come on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, can't can't you just do the thing? Just do the thing. You know? Yeah, I mean, we definitely need a Disney princess movie who gets rescued by another princess. Right. Like that—that yeah, that yeah. has to happen at some point. Yeah. You know, Shira showed you can do it, and ha- yeah. like, you could have romance that isn't sexualized in any way that mm-hmm. like you know, six-year-olds can watch and enjoy, mm-hmm. and there's nothing like, you know, remotely sexual about it. It's just you know, like if if Cinderella can kiss a boy, then a, a you know a, another princess can kiss a girl, right, you know, exactly. or any gender or whatever, exactly. etc. And like maybe in ten or twenty years, I don't know. Yeah, I, like you said, I think it's a progress thing, yeah. you know, and I just, it, I, I was just really, really happy to see that. So, and, and so let's now get into Luca. Okay, yeah. Because um, we said Luca is a story that, um, here, here this time I'll try to kind of get the brief summary cool. of it. Um, <laughs> 60 seconds we, on the clock, good luck. Uh, and here again, like like a lot of these stories, it is set in a, it's not a fairy, well, it kind of is a fantasy mm-hmm. story. There's, there's mm-hmm. sea monsters. Um, but it's set in, again, a very specific time and place. And it's supposed to be like, my understanding is it, it references some of the legends that were kind of like talked about at the time. It's basically like 1950s, 1960s Italy. You know, think of like uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, you know, in that kind of <laughs> setting. It's it's very much that. It's young men on Vespas discovering themselves and things <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that. Which, by the way, is a film genre laced with incredible amounts of like contextual like homoeroticism okay. which i don't think is coincidental right, in the right. slightest but so in this movie we open with a bunch of like what i would have called mer people uh you know kind of sure, anthropomorphic yeah. with, with tales but they refer to as sea monsters in this and they're living their lives and dealing with like the people up on the shore you know you have a little mermaid type character but he's a boy who dreams about life up on the shore and he discovers that if he goes up on shore, he turns into an actual person. Into a, into a human. Yeah, okay, sorry, yeah. Uh, person, I mean, as human. Like, sea yeah. monster to me also is a very personified thing. But yes, no, he they are both sentient beings and, and all that. Yeah. He, he is a human being now. Yeah, he's got skin um, legs. No, good, good Actually, catch, good catch. And I think at this point he's supposed to be like 11, 12. Like, and still mm-hmm. in that same, like, prepubescent, like, not thinking in those terms. 
but wanting to kind of like have adventures and run away from home. And he meets another sea monster who's also a young boy on, on the land who's basically like, look, we can like, you know, be Peter Pan. We can run away from home. We can go have all these crazy adventures. And they get into this, you know, grand story. And again, it's a story you've seen a hundred times before where they want to get money so they can buy a Vespa because the Vespa is a symbol of freedom. And they figure out that the way to win a Vespa is to compete in this great race. Uh, this is where actually my partner described the is a cross between Little Mermaid and a sport uh, a sports anime, mm. uh, which is a whole like subgenre <laughs> of anime. To clarify, it's a triathlon of bike riding, swimming, and and pasta, pasta eating. eating. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna have pasta for dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So appropriate. Uh, uh, so and, and and like you know, of course, they meet a local girl who wants to help them, and they have antagonism with her, and then they all become part of the team. And there's antagonism with the family, and then the family helps them. And all the while, um, the main antagonist is a 16-year-old boy who's basically Gaston from Beauty and the Beast of the movie. Um, you know, very full of himself, very much a bully who you're not surprised at all will will get found, you know, by the end, mm-hmm. everyone will have been like, oh, we, you're not actually that great. We're going to throw you in the, in the, in the fountain. Um, and there's stories about family acceptance and things like that. And, and his family, the, uh, our, our hero, Luca, the sea monsters, they come on shore because they're very worried about him you know, trying to get him back. And all the time, there is this story happening in the town of, like, people have have seen these sea monsters in the water offshore, and everyone's afraid of them, and everyone's concerned about them, and everyone wants to go hunting them. And so our heroes are very, very afraid of being exposed. And, like, if any part of them ever is hit by water, that part of them will switch. Right. Ranma one-half, to throw in one more uh, <laughs> reference that this is pulling from. Um and and so and this is where it really becomes kind of the coming out story because it's you know so much about like do i tell people who i really am versus do i hide that do i challenge their fears or do i hide it and and you get this very poignant very difficult movie where luca's friend is exposed for who he is uh and luca basically throws him under the bus and says like oh no he's a sea monster not me which um both if you've watched like you know, queer coming out teen stories or just talk to like teenagers who went through that is a thing that happens both in the, in the stories and in real life a lot where people like their partner gets caught and like to not get in trouble. They kind of are like, no, no, that wasn't me kind of a thing. Um, and that's been done very well and very badly in some stories. How did you feel? But about of course, say again, how did you feel about it in this one in terms of, well, let me, about... let me just okay, the summary. Sorry, anyway. let's, let's put that mm-hmm. thing. Um, I'm going way too long. Apologies. Uh, <laughs> So, so then the race happens, and of course the rain ha- race happens during the rain, and you know shenanigans ensue, and we try to stay hidden. But in the end, Luca has this moment of like, the only way to win the race, as well as to help his friends, is to expose himself. He does do that, and they win the race. And the the parent figure, the parent of the girl, who has really gotten to know these two young boys, like. The whole town is, like, not sure what to do. Like, did they win the race? You know, are they sea monsters? Are they humans? What are they? And in kind of like the, you know, totally unsurprising, but still makes me feel like someone was chopping onions in the room moment. <laughs> you know, they say, like, are they sea monsters or are they people? And he says, they're the winners of the race. Right. And it's just this wonderful moment of exposing every, you know, and then two little old ladies who are in the town, they kind of let themselves be exposed. That's their sea monsters, too. Yeah. And it, it's just this wonderful, wonderful story that nothing about it will surprise you, but everything about it is charming and and just a really powerful story on a lot of levels. Um, so what what did you like about it? 
Uh, let's see. I got a list. Uh, <laughs> always a list. Uh, I did feel like it was a charming story, you know, that yeah. it um, it just it, it didn't feel like it was trying to do too much. It felt like it was yeah. trying to do maybe two things at once. And I felt like it did those both really well, um, which was just tell a simple story, but also have that story be an allegory, um, you yeah. know, for coming out. And uh, again, like I love the scenery. Um, it, for a lot of the movie, the stakes were just like about a kid doing something his parents didn't want him to, you know, which is just like going up on the surface and not even going into the town at first, you know, and it's like, they were just hanging out and I could just spend a lot of time on the Italian coastline, you know, it's really both this and Raya. It's very different animation Mm -hmm. styles, but both are just incredibly, uh, my partner and I watched this only like a couple days after we'd booked our tickets to Italy for our honeymoon. And we were just like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We're, this is the right thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. It's like, uh, when, <laughs> when, are, when, <laughs> when are Lee and I going to go to, to yeah. Italy for our... I mean, granted, we're not going to 1950s Italy. That's true. That's true. That's true. You, like, can't, you can't go there. You can't go there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's just, it's it's visually just stunning. Um, yeah. It works great as an allegory, which I really appreciated. Like through the movie, kind of gradually being like, Oh, okay, I see where you're going with this, yeah. you know, and and it felt very powerful, but it didn't feel contrived to me. I, I want to ask you about that because I was told that it is an allegory mm-hmm. before I watched oh, it, so okay. I knew to kind of look for that. I was kind of curious, like, what was that like for you about like discovering that? Um, I really enjoyed that. You know, I knew nothing about the movie. I saw right. the picture on Disney Plus, and I just like clicked, yeah. and we just started watching <laughs> it. I knew it was from Pixar. That's it. Um, yeah. And a lot of Pixar's recent stuff I haven't enjoyed quite as much. You know, I've got a lot of thoughts on some of them. But, like, um, it felt kind of... I really just enjoyed that the story was very simple, basically. Um, but kind of discovering that, like, this... I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like, you know... And I didn't feel, like, a vibe between the two boys the way I felt between the two girls and Raya, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that could be interpreted that way. Um, I'm certainly not going to tell anyone not to. They are younger. Um, like, they're not really teenagers, I think. They're... Yeah, I think they're like 11, 12. Yeah, that's... They're definitely prepubescent. Exactly. That's how it feels to me. Um, and then there was the whole thing where then um, um, Luca's hanging out more with... Um, I want to I wanna just grab her name. Um, uh, with Julia. And it's sort of like, oh, now he's spending time with the girl more. And, it, I mean, it's also kind of interesting that it's like... In a way, it's like he wants to do both things, you know. Right. And and then maybe that's a whole other you know thing that is also <laughs> underrepresented in fiction. Yes, like very so. underrepresented, right? But um, it it just I didn't feel like it was hitting me over the head with the allegory. Yeah. I just felt like it felt like an appropriate secondary meaning that I could get from it. But I could also just watch the story and enjoy it as it was just literally the story itself um yeah and you know what i mean i think it also functions as more than just like coming out as gay right i mean it does that very clearly but at the same time just like coming out as anything as yourself as you know maybe being someone that that people that people look at as different somehow and just being like you know you you can be accepted like there are people who will love you you know and like find those people and and hopefully those are also people who will stick up for you and help kind of like you know the the dad i loved the dad character like he yeah. kind of he like socially pressures everybody else into being like 
all right, well, we weren't really committed to hating these sea monsters, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like he's yeah. this big, imposing dude. And, um, you know, and in terms of representation, also, like, he has one arm. And he, yes. he's, you know, which, of course, you know, representation for, you know, people with different limb counts, right? To, to quote yeah. Kim's convenience. Um, but he also says, when, when, um, when asked, uh, he says he was born that way. Which, right. you know, which I think is very, at first it's like, oh, did, was it like a sea monster? Like, is there going to be some horrible, like. Yeah, I was so worried oh, it was going to be that. Yeah. But no, it's like, that's how he always yeah, has been. Exactly. You know? And it's just like, yeah. And I thought that was a beautiful, just addition in terms of like, people are different and that's not just fine. It's great. And like, people yeah. should be appreciated for, for who we are. Right. And, um, and so it, to me, it sort of broadened kind of the circle in a way in terms of you know just the representation within um and there there were one of my notes is there were so many places i felt like the story could go and i wouldn't have liked it that was one of them um but but it really didn't you know (laughs) and the moment when um luca um you know points at alberto and is like sea monster like i was like ah like it hurt you know and then i was like like that happens right like yeah. People do that. And um, and then the fact that Alberto was the one who came back and was like, hey, I'm going to risk my life to come here and bring you an umbrella so you can continue. Like, it made um, Luca's decision have so much agency Yeah, that I, I really appreciated that. And it was it was moving in terms of, like, Alberto being supportive of him, even though he wasn't supportive of him. Like, right. and, and not that you always have to be supportive of people who aren't supportive of you. But like, sometimes, sometimes somebody's, there are some people who are going to do like a bad thing once and then they're going to learn from it and do better. And maybe there's some people who aren't right. And here it's like, he was giving him another chance and then he took it and he's like, no, I don't need the umbrella. Like I'm, I'll, I'll be like, I'm who I am, you know, I'm just like you. Especially because I think one of the things that they develop well in the story is that Luca and Alberto are not the same thing. In part because Luca has a lot more to lose Mm -hmm. in a way that like – not in like a way that like we should be more worried about Luca, but more that like Luca's a lot more – like Alberto – Alberto. 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 I'm saying Alberto um, who lives in Vancouver. Uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, Like – you know, his father abandoned him a long time ago. He has nothing and like he's not pitied but it definitely like – it makes Luca realize like that he has part of why Alberto can take those risks and can, and be like, yes, this is who I am mm-hmm. is because he's not holding on to the things that he's so afraid of losing. Right. Where Luca is. And, and yeah, I, it was a moment that hit very hard, but it was, and here again, like I'm not, I don't, I think I liked Luca a little bit more, mm-hmm. but not for this reason. It's just more of a story that resonated with me. But in this one regard, I think it did what I just said. Raya didn't. Mm-hmm. It trusted its audience by making its hero, its protagonist, yeah. be the bad guy in that moment. Yeah. Like, what he did was clearly a terrible thing to do. But as you said, like, it happens in real life all the time, and it's understandable. And, um, you know, I, like, I, in, in the counseling work I used to do in the church, like, I did a lot of work with people who were talking about, like, you know, their queer experiences and, like, how the church had rejected them in the past and, and stuff like this. And many of them told stories about having, like, you know, their partner throw them under the bus like this. Many of them told stories about how they were the one who did that to their partner, you know, and they clearly they were like, I, I was very guilty. And then, I, and part of it's like, you were 14. Like, you know, it's, it was right. a great thing you did, sure. but you know, it's understandable. Yeah. Not good, but understandable. Like that's. Yeah. And, 
And I felt like they did such a nice job of showing that, of like not letting Luca off the hook and not forgiving him, mm-hmm. but also not making him like a horrible character who now has to be like, now Alberto is the star and Luca has to be. Like it was, yeah. he made a mistake. He hurt his friend. His friend gave him a lot more grace than he maybe deserved. But he then took that grace and was like, yeah, I, I should do the right thing. And to me, it really hit kind of the same themes as Raya did, which talking about like what you said, the father of like challenging the feet, you know, like it was again, like, here's the story we've heard. Sea monsters are scary. Here's the reality. Yeah. They eat a lot of pasta and are good at races. Right. Like they're fun, you know, and that moment. And then especially that moment of the two women sort of like taking off the umbrellas oh, yeah. so that they could be seen as what they were. It just felt like such a sweet moment of everyone realizing, like, the facade that they all had mm-hmm. of, you know, we don't have to lie. We don't have to pretend. We don't have – lie is even too strong a word. We don't – we can trust each other. Yeah. You know, we can see that we can be accepted and then more people can come out and then more people can be like, oh, well, you too. You right. know, like, it's just – it becomes this wonderful, like, snowball effect. Yeah, yeah. I th- I thought that little detail at the end with the, the two, like, older ladies, like, coming out – and being like, oh yeah, we're we're from the sea too. I thought was yeah. was like one of the most powerful, just little details in the movie. Yeah, you know, and and shows how you know, I mean, one person's act of bravery can inspire another person's act of bravery, which can inspire a bunch of other people's acts of bravery, and then it's like we maybe we just have a better world then for everybody. Yeah, no, I I think it's definitely true. Um, any other thoughts you had on uh, Luca? We wanted to get into. Um, no, like I didn't, I didn't have as many like really specific details i think for luca you know it it resonated with me but not as much like specifically in terms of like if you were to write a movie and be like here are the things you're gonna love in a movie like you would write raya you know and luca i was just like i love this for what it is even if it's not like the genre that i like usually yeah i'm trying to spend my time in but i really enjoyed spending my time um in the movie and in the location and with the characters. Yeah. I, I think one thing I felt really about both movies, and this is kind of can go back to the conversation about kids' movies, I never felt condescended to. Yeah. I never felt like the writer was saying, okay, because you're a kid watching this, we're going to kind of spoon feed mm-hmm. you the details. You know, with the exception of that one moment in Raya, like it, it felt like both these movies, Luca especially, but really both of them, you know, we're like, hey, we're going to tell this in a way that, like, kids are going to enjoy. And yet, this was the movie with a lot of fart jokes, which, you know, I, ro- I rolled my eyes at. And and jokes about, like, you know, kids really loving eating pasta mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. You're maybe not going to see in The Dark Knight. Right. could feel really out of place. <laughs> um, there's another movie we I saw recently that had a very dark and gritty feel, but also some, like, family romp movie stuff right, right, that right, I right. didn't love. Yep. That we'll be talking yeah, about yeah. tomorrow. tomorrow. We'll <laughs> um, back to that. No spoilers. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just... And maybe that's kind of a nice where I had to kind of wrap up. Like, and I feel like what I love about both of these stories is that they they use the genre. And both of them, I mean, they're very classic stories. You know, just like Raya, none of the overall plot, there's never a doubt in my mind that they're going to win this race. There's never right. a doubt in my mind that Alberta and Luca are going to forgive each other mm-hmm. and that they're going to team up with the girl who's the antagonist. There's never a doubt in my mind that the little... Uh, kids who follow around the bully all the t- all the movie are eventually going to realize he's just a bully. They don't right. have to do that. And he's going to get his comeuppance in some way or another. But it was still like, by adding those details, you know, having it be that the confrontation moment is the one of them comes out, the other throws the other under the bus, the the two women coming out, the... It was just being beautifully, beautifully animated mm, in yeah. such wonderful ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just loved it. 
I, I will add uh, a couple things. One, I did enjoy the bits of Italian throughout, just in terms of yeah. language and like recognizing most of it and um, enjoying that. Um, I it's hard to think about the new movie without hearing in my mind Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes yes <laughs> I didn't even make the fish connection but I definitely like Luca to me is like Luca Brazzi yeah. so I get that connection but just that being the biggest line aside from like you know I hope your this first child is a masculine child <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah this is some some godfather references there for, for all you um and I think it's interesting that um, your main issue in Raya is that you feel like they didn't trust the audience enough to make Raya look bad when the whole thing is about trust. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I just really enjoyed both movies. I, I highly recommend them. I think, you know, you can see them for the allegorical value, but like you could you can also just see them for not only a good story, but just like, just like watch the screen. I mean, yeah. I think the sound is great, but like just the picture is, is amazing also. I have this kind of wonderful image in my head of like super Christian conservative parents mm. showing their kids this movie. And maybe they think Pixar is all demon, you know, uh, Satanists. But, like, I think a lot of, like, this movie is going to get very, very family-friendly ratings. Even with folks who might be, like, you know, for racism reasons, like, not going to see Raya. I think hopefully even, like, a lot of Christian conservatives are still going to at least go see that. But I love the idea of it being watched with these parents who just are completely oblivious to the coming out Mm -hmm. allegory. They're just like, this is a fun story. And it has good messages for our kids. And then 10 years later, when a kid in their high school comes out, the parents are, you know, so mad that their own kids aren't more upset about this. Like, but, but mom, remember Luca? Like, it's okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I, I don't think that by any means is why they wrote it. Maybe that's probably not going to happen too often. But if it just happens at least once, it's going to make me so happy. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I also think that kind of speaks to, to, to bring in the, the circle back around. Like, that speaks to the idea of movies being for all audiences where, yeah. you know, Anyone can enjoy the movies, I think. It doesn't mean everyone will, but anyone can. And right. um, it can hit people differently based on where they're, you know, what they bring to it, what they're coming to it. And, um, you know, maybe on another viewing later, later on, years later, I might be like, oh, I, I missed that, you know. Because yeah. um, I think there's a <laughs> lot of people who, who watch movies and don't read a whole lot of commentary about them or aren't particularly concerned with, with some of the things that, you know, we talk about. And oh, yeah. that doesn't mean that it doesn't kind of filter in, you know, to the, yeah. um, I mean, to some extent, like movies can be propaganda and that, that can be good. Right. And it can be bad sometimes, but like, you know, I, getting I, ideas into heads, like six year old me did not have deep thoughts about fascism and empires and rebellions when I watched Luke Skywalker blow up the Death Star. Right. But certainly, like, when 14-year-old me started to learn about jackbooted soldiers and, and fascism and empire, the the distaste for those things that had been instilled in right. by Star Wars was, you know, carried through. Yep. Like, and those messages can and, – and that's what kind of the, like – that I think that's the flip side of the representation stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to have two characters of the same gender in a Disney or Pixar movie kiss each other. But a third of the country to half the country will refuse to watch right. that movie. And so also having this, I think it's, you know, it's in the same way, I will really be happy when we get a Disney movie about a disabled Disney princess, mm. you know, who is in a wheelchair or something yeah. like that. But also having a character where like his not having an arm is barely ever mentioned. Yeah. 
And you're right, it could have been in a bad way. It's not. But he just is like there as just, yeah, some people don't have an arm. Some people don't have a leg. Uh, for context, those who are new, I, I don't have one of my legs. I have a prosthetic. And so it's why it's particularly important to me. It's normalizing it. Yeah. You know, it's helping people real like, because they're especially kids who saw this movie are going to like, you know, I've definitely had experiences with people of all ages, especially kids, but really of all ages who are sort of like freaked out when I take my leg off. Right. I'm like, oh, that's so weird and different. I guarantee you. There are going to be kids who meet their, you know, the first amputee friend in high school and are like, oh, yeah, like uh, Julia's dad, you know, yeah. like it just it helps to normalize yeah, it. And yeah. that's to me, that's one more way in like the representation matters so much. Yeah, for sure. Like he exists and yeah. he's a character who matters. And um, so like just he exists and and is lovable. And, you know, I, I, I do think that 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 affects sort of just the the kind of unconscious yeah. feelings that people have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say one other thing that this kind of reminds me of is that, because here's again a way that the movie could have been terrible, but wasn't. Luca's parents are good people who care about their son. Right. Like, yeah. They're overprotective mm-hmm. and they have a lot of mythology about what the surface is like and a lot of fear of like, you know, don't play on the other side of the tracks, you'll get in trouble. Yeah. But, but it is clear even when they come, they're not sort of like angry that he's learning all these terrible ideas. They're just concerned about yeah. him. And when they see him watch the race, they're very proud of him. Mm-hmm. And they're, they are they are also able to be like, okay, we were afraid of the surface people, but maybe it's not so scary. And they, they find a way for everyone to kind of coexist in both worlds. And Yeah, for sure. For sure. They, they, their concerns are valid and understandable, but at the same time, you know, they're, you know, maybe being overprotective. And then when they see the reality of the situation, they, they're like, okay, you know, we accept this. And, you know, yeah. it... it it comes to a, a pleasant conclusion that sort of models like maybe, maybe that's how things can be, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's, I, I, I do like gritty stories. I do like stories like, you know, that, that show that the world isn't always happy endings mm-hmm. and stuff, sure. but like stories with happy endings are also good. Exactly. You know, like I, I want a story that tells me how bad the world can be. And I also want a story that tells me how good the world could mm-hmm. be, you know? Yeah. Like we can have both. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's about where I'd wrap up. Uh, Paul, do you have any other last things or do you want to kind of go into uh, telling people where they can find more of your stuff? Yeah, I, I just have like one last statement, closing statement, which is basically just that I feel like these movies demonstrate how you can make a piece of fiction with humor and weight and have protagonists of any age. And if you write a great story and execute it well, it can function to entertain people of any age and maybe even do a little bit more than that. So yeah. that's... I, I think it's a great way to put it. And it's the, you know... I like things that have a strong message, but I also like things where it's subtle, you mm-hmm. know, and where you, like it just it. These things have effects, especially in people on, on young people, but also people of all ages, yeah, you know. So exactly, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you, you kind of pushed Raya towards me, and um, it wasn't you, but someone else who pushed Luca. But you've definitely helped me get a lot better sense of like just you know why to enjoy you know stuff that's for all ages. Yeah. So I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm uh, glad you watched them both. <laughs> yeah, uh, and oh. and um. Okay. Oh, I was just. Oh, do you want me to say my streaming stuff? I'm Zen Badman on Twitch. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll be good with that. On Twitter. And, and I will say there is one more that I know you. I think you've watched part of. I, I want you I to have finish. Watched part. I'm working through it, and maybe we'll do a thing on it when I finish. And you, you can give that yeah. recommendation if you want. To Mitchell's and the Machines is another fantastic one. It addresses a couple of the themes that we've talked about here in some very good ways. I'm not going to spoil for Paul, but but definitely another to me another example of just like fantastic all ages kid movie whatever you want to call it with, I mean, like 
biting, biting satire mm. of our current technological situation, if nothing else, with clear references to a couple of specific individuals <laughs> who are very clearly being mocked and pilloried. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, the evils and wonders of technology, Paul, where can people find your voice on yeah. different technological platforms? Yeah, twitch.tv slash zenmadman. Um, I actually spelled it wrong, but I didn't pronounce it wrong uh, in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> and then also on Twitter, uh, zenmadman. Um, you know, you can you can chat at me, and uh, you can come out and hang. I generally play uh, poker and uh, ponder the nature of existence on on Twitch. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll branch out. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm um, I'm also doing some poker streaming on Twitch here. The the my Twitch channel is the Ethical Panda. Um, we're uh, my my Twitch my yeah. Paul, what what is the schedule I can find you at? Oh, I don't know. Are you still kind of up in the air? I'm re I'm kind of revamping my schedule. I most okay. frequently stream at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time and at 2 p.m. Pacific time, um, and I'm kind of playing around with different days. For a while, I was doing every single day. I might start taking a day or two off, like every week or month yeah. or so. But it's not the worst idea in the world. <laughs> yeah, it has some upsides. Yeah, and I, like I said, I'm doing. I and what I'm doing is a thing where like I'm playing poker, but I'm also talking about these issues. And Paul might join me. Uh, I all of mine is under the Ethical Panda. I generally stream at Tuesdays and Thursdays at one o'clock, and then on Sundays I'm going to try and do this thing fairly regularly of record an episode at eight and then go into my own poker stream at nine thirty. So I will be doing that in about fifteen minutes or so for those who are watching on Twitch. And then Paul and I are talking. Paul has been very much my mentor while I'm learning poker. So. Often when I when I'm doing the stuff Tuesdays and Thursdays, sorry, all of my times are Central uh, Panda time right. uh, at one o'clock uh, Central, eleven o'clock Pacific. Paul and I may will we'll do like a hand review where it's specifically about poker, either on his channel or mine. We're still discover, discussing that, uh, but you know, keep subscribe to both our channels, follow follow all that, and I I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, tell us what you thought about these two movies. Tell us you know what you thought of our discussion, what you agreed with, what you didn't like. Um, what are other things that are kids' movies that you think are really powerful and you still love as an adult today and, and either you still love them because you love like getting to feel like a kid or because you don't think they're kids' movies? Let us know. You can email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook, also at theethicalpanda. And if you go to my website, theethicalpanda.com, you'll find all my contact information as well as this and my other podcast, Star Wars Universe Podcast. We're doing episodes about The Bad Batch, different movies. We're going to start our book club back up again pretty soon. A lot of great things going on. All these podcasts are part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, which is a great network where you can find content on. There you can find content on so many different great parts of like the, the geeky world, MCU, Star Wars, Star Trek. Um, we're covering like a lot of the shows that kind of don't fit into something exactly, but like they just did a whole thing on uh, Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, Animation Deliberation does all sorts of great stuff. They just did a whole thing on uh, uh, Young Justice seasons one and two. There's some great episodes. Check all those things out by going to strandandpanda.com. So I'm having myself, Paul, everyone else involved. Thank you all so much and have a great day. Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out. Uh, so oh. stanco.